0: We learnt in the previous Mishnah that Jewish women were very careful to ensure that any items of clothing that might have had a stain, a blood stain, called a kesem in the language of the Mishnah, from blood that had exited their womb, which was nidor blood, it was thus tome, and anybody who had touched that blood on the item of clothing would become tome, and they were very careful to ensure that they wouldn't leave such items of clothing out in the public. And because of that, the Mishnah says, any items of clothing that have a kesem, a blood stain, on them, wherever they are found, as long as it's in a Jewish area, it can be assumed that such an item of clothing is actually pure, and that the blood on it is not blood which has come from a nidor, because if it would have come from a nidor, then the woman would have been very careful to ensure that it wouldn't be left in the public. So the fact that it was found out in the open is an indication that the red stain on it is actually not from a nidder. It must have come from elsewhere, perhaps it's the blood of an animal. Chutz, <laughs> except for tzoim, items of clothing that are found, bachadorim, in the rooms inside of a house. There's no reason why they would be careful that the items of clothing wouldn't be there. They were careful that it wouldn't be left in the public, where people generally go and they might become tamei. But if it's in a private area, like a room of a house, then there is indeed a possibility that the stain on it is from a nida, and medirabonon, such an item of clothing on which there is a kesem, would be considered tâmei. Likewise, with svives if the item of clothing that has a kesem on it was found in the area surrounding the besatumais, which literally means the house of impure things, this refers to a place where women who were impure, they were tome as a nida, would stay there for that period when during which they are tome. If it would be very impractical for them to stay at home, for example, there are lots of things that can't become tome, and it might become very difficult for them to avoid touching any of those things, so there would be these special houses for tome women who needed to stay elsewhere for them to stay in such places. Now, because these places were designated for tommy women, they weren't careful to make sure that items of clothing that had these bloodstains on wouldn't be left around, because generally people who were pure and had to stay pure wouldn't really venture into these areas. And because of this, even if an item of clothing is found in the open around such an area, it is considered to be tommy midrubon because of that concern. Continues the Mishnah, since we're mentioning these besatumis, these buildings which were designated for Tomei women to stay in, Beisatomeis shall Kusim, such buildings in areas of Kusim, the nation of Kutim, were people who converted en masse to become Jewish, although they didn't accept all of the laws of Tershbaal Peh, all of the things that aren't explicitly mentioned in the Torah. And the Mishnah says that if somebody enters into one of these buildings in an area of oihel, he would become Tomei based on the fact that he is underneath the same roof as a source of impurity. Now, we're talking about a dead body. A dead body is something whose impurity is transferred to anything else underneath the same roof as it. And the Mishnah explains, because the practice of the kusim was to bury their stillborn babies there at least for a short while, and then later on they would eventually move them to a more permanent cemetery. And because of this, there exists a high level of concern that these dead babies, these dead fetuses, are still there, which means that anybody who would enter that building would become Tomei. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda argues, and he says, They would not bury their stillborn children over there. Rather, they would throw them there, and wild animals would come and drag them away. The Kusim felt that these stillborn children do not require a burial, like a regular person. But the point is, according to Rabbi Yehuda, there is no concern that they still are in that area, in the building, because wild animals would have taken them away already. So unless they actually see a dead stillborn child there, they do not need to be concerned, and somebody who enters there will not become Tomei, according to Rabbi Yehuda. Mission. Hey, this mission discusses the level of trustworthiness that Kusim have, and. The Qusim, for the most part, accepted the Torah, and they would practice most of the laws that regular Jews followed. However, they didn't really accept Torah Shabalpeh, and things that are not explicitly mentioned in the Torah, often they wouldn't necessarily keep to. And this is really the basic premise to this Mishnah. Ne'emanim Loimar, the Kusim are believed and trusted to say, Folim, we buried over there, in a particular place, stillborn children. Or, if they say that we did not bury them there, they would also be believed. The reason why they are believed in the second case, even, which is to be lenient based on their words, we're going to consider that place to be pure, is because the concept of impurity that comes from a dead body is explicitly mentioned in the Torah, so they did act and hold of such a law and such a concept in this case. Now, the truth is, is not really enough, because although they themselves would keep to the laws of impurity, if they became Tommy from a dead body, then they wouldn't go and start eating Trumar and other sanctified foods that cannot be eaten in a state of impurity. However, they were not concerned about making somebody else violate a prohibition. So it's all very nice that they act according to these laws of purity and impurity, but how can we trust them with regards to... Ourselves, The answer is, the Gemara explains, that we're talking specifically about a case where the Kusi himself goes and proves it. Meaning, a Kusi who is a Koyane, for example, a Koyane married into the Kusi nation, that would make all of the male descendants Koyanim. If a Kusi Koyane went and ate Truma in that area, where he went into that area and immediately went and ate Truma, that would show us that indeed he considers this place to be pure. Because like we said, with regards to themselves, they would keep to these laws. So if we see the Kusi do that, and he tells us that he's doing it because this place is pure, then he is trusted even with regards to us. Continues the Mishnah, The are believed to say with regards to an animal whether or not it has given birth to its firstborn child, because there is a mitzvah to give the firstborn animal to a kohen. This is one of the gifts that koanim receive. And there is sanctity to this animal. It cannot be worked. It's forbidden to shear the animal. And this requirement of giving the firstborn animal to a kohen is explicitly talked about in the Torah. So the kusim did practice this. They did give their firstborn animals to a kohen. But once again, we would need him to demonstrate this in order for us to trust him. So if the cussy tells us that he knows that the animal has already given birth to its firstborn, and that means that the next animal that will be born is not considered to be a firstborn, and there's no need to give it to a koyane and then when that animal is born, if this cussy shears some of the wool from that sheep, or he works the animal for a little bit, that would be forbidden to do with a firstborn animal. So if we see that the cussy is behaving in a way that is in accordance with that which he told us, then he would be trusted. Third example, they are trustworthy with regards to marking graves. If they mark graves on the ground to show where people are buried, so that people don't walk over it and become tomai, and a different area next to there they have not marked, so they can be trusted... And we are able to rely on that and assume that the area that they did not mark has not got graves there. Now, the truth is, there's no hint to this idea of marking graves in the Torah itself. However, this is hinted to in Nach, in Sefer Hezkel, and the Kusim were particular with things that were hinted to and written about in Nach as well. Not only that which was written explicitly in the Torah. On the other hand, the Mishnah says the kusim are not trustworthy with regards to overhanging branches or a wall that has some stones protruding outwards in a case where it is known that a piece of a dead body is underneath one of the branches or the stones but a person has a doubt as to whether he passed under the stone or the branch that has the piece of dead body there since the branch or the stone is forming a roof over the dead body, so anyone who passes underneath that stone or that branch will become Tomei. Essentially, this is a ca- uh, case where somebody has a doubt as to whether or not he became Tomei. The Kusim, although they were concerned, and they did act in accordance to the laws of Tumu and Taira, impurity and purity, nevertheless, in cases of doubt, they ruled leniently. They were not concerned in cases of doubt, and because of that... They cannot be trusted in such a case, and likewise, they cannot be trusted with regards to a Besapras. This refers to a field in which there was a body buried there, a grave, but the grave was ploughed over, and there's a concern that the bones which were buried there were scattered across the field. And although this is a small concern, a very large area in that field is considered to be Tome, out of doubt. But again, this is a decree medirabonon, and the Kusim did not accept this, which means that not only do we not trust the Kusim, but even if the Kusi Koyein would go and take Truma into such a field, and he'll tell us that he knows that the there was no grave here, he knows that it's not a Besapras, and he's really proving it, because he's eating Truma there, that would not help. He wouldn't be trusted, because he doesn't care if it's a Besapras he doesn't hold that it's forbidden to eat truma there. He thinks it's considered to be pure. So there is no proof at all in the fact that he himself is eating truma there. Ends off the Mishnah, this is the rule, something which the Kusim are suspected about, meaning they possibly don't adhere to those laws. a their law, they are not trustworthy with regards to that which they state about that law as well. Per Aleph. This perk this chapter, continues to talk about a kesem, a bloodstain that is found on items of clothing that were worn by a woman, or perhaps bloodstains that are found on the woman's body herself, and whether we would consider her to be a nida, or the blood that is on the items of clothing to be considered blood that came from a nida. Horea Kessin a woman who finds a blood stain on her skin. Kaneged Saturpa, if it is opposite the revealed area, that means the area of the womb from which the nida blood would exit, that means that there's a possibility that the blood came from there, and therefore Tamea, the woman, would be considered impure. It is important to note that midraisa on a torah level since at the end of the day there is a doubt we don't know for sure that the blood came from her womb and that it is nidah tome blood so midraisa according to the torah actually we are able to consider the item of clothing to be pure because until now it's been pure and the concept of chazakah says that if we have a doubt we assume that things haven't changed however because there is quite a likely chance that it is blood of a nidah Midyabonon, we consider that Aita, the, the woman, in this case, where the blood is found on her skin, to be Tomei as a nidha midyabonon. The sheloik negedvesa, but if the blood is not opposite the womb area where the blood would come out of her body, then Tahirah, she would remain pure. And the Mishnah explains with a few examples. Kiva. if the blood is found on her heel, or on the tip of her big toe, then Tomei, she's considered to be Tomei as a nidha. Because depending on her position, these parts of her body can sometimes be exactly opposite that area where the blood comes out. If she's kneeling down, for example, then the blood might have dropped onto her heel. As she's walking and taking steps, it could be that the blood fell onto the tip of her toe. And therefore, she would be considered tome midjabaron, al shayka v'alparisei seha on her leg itself and on her feet, maybe Fnim, if it's the inner part of the leg or the foot, that refers to the part of the leg that touches the other leg or the part of the foot that touches the other foot if as one is walking or standing still. So that is closer to where the blood exits the body and may or she would be considered Tome, maybe However, if the blood is found on the outer part of her leg or foot, then tohira she would remain pure. Valat stodin mekan If it's on the side, either side, and over here that means it's either at the front or at the back of her leg or foot, the blood wouldn't really reach there from where it exits the body, and therefore tohira she would remain pure. al Now what happens if she sees the blood stain on her shirt, not on her body? And really, the Mishnah is referring to a much longer shirt than ones that we wear nowadays, more of a kind of robe. And there was a belt in the middle of it by her waist. So the Mishnah says, If the bloodstain, the kesem, was found from the belt and lower down, to meo, she would be considered tome, regardless of where exactly on that robe it was found, because... It's very easy, really, for the blood to get anywhere on that shirt, on that robe. But if it was from the waist, from the belt, and further upwards to Haira, she would remain pure. We assume that the stain over there is not from blood that came from her womb. If she found the kesem, the blood stain, on the robe's sleeve, if that area of the sleeve reaches... Somewhere opposite that part of the body where the blood would come out of the womb, then Tameya, she would be considered Tame, because it's possible the blood came from there, Vimlav, but if not, then Tahira, she would remain pure. What happens if Hisop is if she would take this robe off at night, and she would cover herself as a with a she would use it as a kind of blanket at night? In this case, regardless of where on the robe she finds the bloodstain, she would be considered Tome, because the robe moves about at night while she's sleeping. It's very easy for the position of this now blanket to move about. And wherever the blood stain is found, it could very well have come from her uterus, which means that it's nidor blood. And the Mishnah ends off, the chinba palyoim, the same applies to a sort of head covering that she would wear at night. If it isn't fastened very tightly, then it's also possible for that to move about at night. And even if she finds it on her head at the end of the night, it could very well be that during the night it was elsewhere. And if there is a blood stain there, then we do need to be concerned that it came from her uterus and that she is a niddah. Mishnah base. As we mentioned, mid eraisa on a Torah level, in all of these cases, she would actually be considered tahar, pure, because as long as we don't know as a fact that she is a niddah, that blood came out of her uterus, she has a chazakai presumed status of being pure, like she has been until now. Nevertheless, mid we are strict. However, since this is a stringency at the end of the day, mid if there is any other reason, any other cause that we are able to think of that might have caused the stain to be there, other than the fact that she is a nidah, then we would rely on that. As the Mishnah explains, for she's able to rely and depend on anything that she's able to attribute the kesen, the bloodstain, to. So, for example, if she had recently slaughtered a domesticated animal or a wild animal or a bird, so she is able to attribute the bloodstain to the blood that came from the animal. Or if she was involved in handling other bloodstained clothes, or she sat on the side of people who were... Handling these clothes, if she killed lice, or Ma'choyles is a singular louse, an individual louse, Harizotolaba, in all of these cases, she's able to rely and attribute the fact that there is blood there to one of these events that occurred recently. Now, if she killed a louse, the amount of blood that comes out of there is probably quite limited. And usually if blood exits her uterus, there would be a more sufficient amount of blood. So the Mishnah asks, Ad up to what amount of blood could there be that she is able to attribute the blood stain to her killing of a louse? Rabbi Hanino and Antigonus says, if it is up to the size of a bean that has been split... But if it's larger than that, then it's clearly not because of her killing a louse. Now, the Mishnah notes that even if she doesn't know that she killed a louse, even if she didn't intentionally kill one, she doesn't even know about it, this could very possibly have occurred unintentionally. And therefore, as long as the bloodstain is not so big, she's always able to attribute it to her having killed a louse. So, in general, we would only start getting worried at all based on a blood stain that is found on her clothes if it is larger than that size. Continues the Mishnah. She is also able to attribute the blood to her very young son or to her husband who sleep with her if they have a wound that is bleeding. So, she's able to presume that the blood came from there. If she has a wound on her body, even if it is already scabbed, if it is able to be uncovered and to cause blood to come out again, then she would be able to rely and attribute the blood stain to that.